The biggest story in tennis has boiled over. Naomi Osaka just announced that she has withdrawn from Roland Garros this year. After she was fined and threatened with disqualification for refusing to take part in a press conference at the weekend. The uh, Japanese star had warned the organisation she would not be taking part in any media press conferences because, according to her, it uh, is bad for players' public health. It affects uh, players' public health. I'm Alexia Russell, and on the detail today, is it time to can the traditional after-match media conference? Perhaps it's time to look at this very outdated method of questioning and, and make some really good changes. What you want from a player is for them to be the best they can be mentally, and if that means they don't want to speak to the media, then they shouldn't have to speak to the media. But isn't speaking to the media just part of the job? Part of the deal on that stage is you don't whine. You can melt down or explode and say sorry later, but you get the sense that what most likely would have been tolerated in any modern workplace these days, i.e. I'm fragile, I'm shy, I'm tired, I'm over it, I don't want to deal with the rules anymore, was never going to be tolerated at ATP level because they have not entered the woke age of handing out free passes to everything and everyone who plays the mental health card. What does speaking to the media actually achieve anyway? How often do those sound bites go beyond well-trodden cliches? Well, I think the Osaka situation has kind of brought it to a head and has made you think, look, what can be done better? News Talk ZB sports editor Matt Brown has worked at the French Open for 13 years, contracted every year to provide English language commentary for the online radio service Radio Roland Garris. COVID put a stop to that this year, but he's... Attended a lot over the years. Um, and some are riveting, others are mundane. Uh, some of the questions are just uh, irritating. No, you, you know, you're asking a question and okay. you're already giving an answer. You know, you're right. saying that my confidence is low. And then you just said, you lost today. What? How was your day? Obviously, my day, you know, I lost. I mean, can you talk louder so everyone can hear you asking me about my drugs? Because I heard this shit too often now. I'm sick and tired of it. Others are, are astute and brilliant. The, the problem you get at a Grand Slam, you get a lot of people accredited for, coming from all different angles, different walks of life. You get fashion magazines that, that get accreditation. You know, you get Sports Illustrated. You get dedicated um, newspapers who, who send tennis correspondents. You get all sorts. Uh, so you do get a mix between the, the, the tennis journalists journalists who follow the sport and cover it, and the people who are kind of fly-by-nighters who maybe come in for a specific reason. Uh, and so that's where I think some of these problems occur at Grand Slams, where you do get some pretty stupid questions in, in, in media conferences. Um, but, of course, a player you know, has always had that option to say, oh, look, I don't really want to comment on that, or I'm not going to answer that. And, and that happens from time to time. Um, it's 11.30. I don't, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't want to be here. And I don't want to answer any of these questions. And you guys keep asking me the same questions, so. Be, be careful how you phrase a question. Don't want to be rude to the other players because you got to face them. I don't have to face them. Yeah, I don't ask them stupid questions like that. I'm just here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Hey, I'm just here so I won't get fined. That last clip was NFL player Marshawn Lynch, who notoriously gave that answer to every question at a media conference in 2015. After Osaka's announcement, she posted the video of it on Instagram. I think there is going to be, and always will be, um, a role for a post-match media conference in all sorts of sports. Uh, you know, tennis being an individual sport, unlike maybe a team sport, where the focus goes on you squarely as opposed to your team, 
and uh, and if I look at rugby for example and you know they have mixed zones where where players come in uh, it's not all about one player whereas an individual the scrutiny is so intense especially when you are the world number two reigning Grand Slam champion in Australia and at the US Open uh, and she's so introverted she is different um, she's an incredibly interesting person to speak to though yeah I mean for me I've always said that you know, when I step on the court, uh, all I, like, want to convey is tennis, you know, but at the same time, I feel like I learned if you have a platform, you have to use it, um, no matter how small the message is. One of the things that makes it kind of hard from a journalist perspective is the, there's been so much positivity around her throughout her career and the stories around her um, that it's kind of, it's very sad to know what she's going through now and, and to, I guess, not realise or not have realised it beforehand. Um, so, you know, it's a very complicated situation, but at least I think what will happen from this is that there will be a lot of thought given around how we can do it better. Have you spoken to Saka before? Yeah, she was at the ASB Classic before she won the US Open. She came up to the commentary box, and David Mustard and I we were commentating it at the ASB Tennis Arena, and we had this great little chat with her, and you could tell she was a little bit awkward, but she was young. She was 18 at the time. And, um, and he said, so what are, you, what are you sort of, um, you know, how are you coping, you know, being out on tour and, and um, you know, away from family and, and that sort of thing? Just a fairly general question on, on that side of it as opposed to what you're doing out on court. And she just looked at us and just said... I just really want to find a friend. And that was a really, and when you think back, you think, you know what, it is, it can be tough. Um, You're a teenager, you're suddenly, you know, you're away from your friends, you're traveling the world. There's a lot of, yes, there's a lot of glamour, there's a lot of rewards that come with it. But um, at the end of the day, you're still a kid. You're really just growing up, aren't you? So, uh, so, you know, that's something that you must bear in mind, I think, with athletes, young athletes. Um, You know, Lydia Coe in golf terms went through that, I think, and... uh, and has come back stronger. So I think, you know, from my perspective with Osaka, uh, I believe, you know, she will get a lot of support around her and has to. And ultimately, she probably has to try and find a way, and we all hope, you know, to be able to get to a situation where she is at least comfortable facing some a level of scrutiny. Um, I've given it a lot of thought and I haven't come up with the answer yet in terms of what should happen at a Grand Slam in terms of, you know, should players be able to be excused? Maybe there's a commitment, maybe, you know, three times a tournament or or maybe after you lose, you have to come in if you're requested as a big name. I think, you know, I I think that needs to happen. I think there's an element of that because you take the good and the bad as an athlete. You know, the publicity that has generated the riches for her has been media driven be it um, mainstream media, be it social media, being, you know, it's media coverage which is, is massive behind, you know, really achieving a lot of what she's achieved off the court. So so I think there has to be a degree of it, but maybe there is also a little bit of leeway given to, to when they come in and when they do it, you know. Everyone's pulling it different directions. Radio wants the instant quote and the instant audio bite, you know. A newspaper maybe could handle some submitted questions that are then asked and they get it in writing. But, um, you know, there's no one answer. It is a really hard, hard one. And I think, yeah, I think this may now open the floodgates where a whole lot of female athletes and even male athletes who aren't comfortable in the situation speak out and say no. Suzanne McFadden is the editor of Newsroom's Locker Room, which concentrates on women in sport. So when it comes to facing a barrage of media questions, are female tennis players more fragile or more targeted? I think that they're more targeted because... It's a sport where they're paid a lot of money now, which they completely deserve. 
but there is a little bit of that, I think, a little bit of that feeling that we're paying you this money, you owe us. You owe us sound bites, you owe us answers. And so I think that they do receive more media attention than perhaps, I don't know, a rower or a uh, paddler or a, even a netball player. And so I think what we're seeing is finally one of these young women have had has had the guts to say, enough, I don't want this, this doesn't do anything for my game. In fact, it probably hurts my game. And do I really need this in my life? Do I really need to talk to you? What am I actually telling you? Not much. So do you feel that the Naomi Osaka debacle is the beginning of something different, something fresh, a rethink about media conferences? Yeah, I'd like to think it was. You know, as a journalist... Of course, we, you know, turn up to these media conferences um, sometimes in the hope that, you know, something radical will be said or somebody will lose their rag or, you know, in the case of the America's Cup, that two people will engage in a bit of off-the-water stoush. And um, so it's it's entertaining. <laughs> but also, you know, when you if you're a radio journalist, you know, you're getting that soundbite that you need, that you... That it's demanded of you really by the public. The public, for some reason, we want to hear from the athletes themselves. Um, we listen to coaches, but you know, there's there's been that's really interesting to me. There's been criticism of the fact that female athletes in the media are often represented by their coaches, and that's seen as a negative. And yet. Maybe this is an answer to this situation. Maybe if an athlete like Osaka doesn't feel comfortable speaking, that someone else speaks for her. Because, yeah, they're professional athletes, but they're not professional speakers. You know, just because you can hit a ball really hard doesn't mean you can say really you know, stunning things. It or... doesn't mean you're automatically eloquent kind of thing. No, exactly. Do you think, though, that the public likes to get that little tiny, no matter how insignificant it is, that connection, that little bit of insight from inside the athlete's head. How important is that? Yeah, I think we all hang out for that. and But it doesn't always come. I mean, seriously, how many times have you heard these sound bites from press conferences and they're so mundane and, you know, a lot of the athletes are coached in what to say. They most athletes now who are semi-professional, professional, are receiving media training. So they're told exactly what to say in these situations. So really it's not adding much. And maybe we all need to rethink the way that we report on these athletes. So you aren't directly in, involved in having to process those sound bites when you go to conferences. Uh, do you find them of any use for writing a long-form story? Not really, no. Not unless they're, they're controversial or something that we weren't expecting. If they're the stock standard answer, I won't use it. But uh, what might tend to happen if, um, as they come out of the press conference, I might sneak round the back and try and catch them as they're walking away and ask <laughs> them a few questions on my own. This is where being small and wily counts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can sneak under the bodyguard's arms. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess it helps to paint a picture if you're looking at doing a profile of someone 
their reactions in a press conference. You know, you're more looking at the way that maybe they've folded their arms across their legs mm. rather than what they're saying or how if they're squirming in their seat or, you know, on their, t- on their phones texting, which yeah. happens too, because they don't, most of them don't want to be there. It's a contractual obligation and in some cases, you know, the sponsors expected of them. And I understand the argument that they're paid a lot of prize money or they're paid uh, retainers and that is part of being a professional is fronting up and speaking. But does it really have to be? I dreaded the dreaded press conference then, so I can imagine it's only got an awful lot worse. Dame Susan Devoy was on top of the world 40 years ago, dominating squash in the late 80s and early 90s and winning the World Open four times. Like Osaka, she started young, turning professional at just 17. But she told Morning Report facing the media was never easy for her. Being mentally tough on a sporting uh, you know, field or, or on a court or whatever is, doesn't necessarily always translate into your mental health and well-being. You know, I mean, she's talking about getting anxious. I mean, I felt, you know, probably people didn't know that nerves nearly killed me when I when I was, um, you know, competing for nearly 10 years at the top. Um, that relief when I finally retired, I'm not even to go through that anymore, was something that, you know, I carried, for, you know, was a burden for me the whole of my sporting career and... You know, a sporting career should never be a burden. It should, as well as hard work, be, you know, a joy and a pleasure. You talk about the Grand Slams and there being a sort of procedure and rules and mm. all the rest of it. What is the philosophy behind putting those rules in place? What What do the organisers hope to gain by forcing the athletes effectively to present themselves? Well, they've okay. So these rules have always been in place, um, as long as I, I know of. Certainly, in terms of you know, there have been fines in place if you don't. It's just part of becoming a professional tennis player. You have media responsibilities when requested. There are some matches which Naomi Osaka has played where she hasn't been requested. Um, the rules have always been in place. Uh, that's the first point. Um, whether they need to change, yeah, I mean, I think the, the question, you know, the debate needs to needs to happen about how they change it and how we change the responsibility of the athlete to kind of get that message across to also to, to you know, you, I disagree with the, 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 the assertion that anyone should just be able to watch a match and then write about it and not have that interaction. I think it's really important to have that interaction from the players um, and, have their, and have their views, um, their opinions, um, their feelings even, because ultimately um, that leads to a lot of good writing, a lot of good broadcasting, um, and a lot of knowledge. If, if you were completely distant and never got to talk to Naomi Osaka, for example, and she went and won the French Open, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, so it's a way of how we do it and how you do it without making her even more uncomfortable. Um, and acknowledging that she is battling depression, which is, you know, I don't think anybody in this whole saga, despite those that have criticised her, have ever questioned, you know, have ever sort of tried to belittle the mental health aspect of it because it is big. Well, there's some, big I know there's some outliers who have said, no, nah, she's just using it as an excuse. But you don't think that? No, I don't. I don't because I, having met her, having seen her, and, you know, she, look, she made a mistake. And what is that? The, the mistake she made was the second statement she put out when she pulled out of the tournament. That needed almost to be the first statement, you know, saying, look, I've been battling this. And, and yes, should she have to disclose everything? Maybe not. But if she had that statement, which was quite highly emotive, and, and you've just felt so sad reading that, there's a lot, there'd be a lot more understanding after that. Whereas the first statement, is, as I spoke to Marcus Daniel, the New Zealand player about it, he, he read it and he sort of thought it came out as being very combative. 
I like and stuff kind of, you. I'm not going to appear afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first statement. Mm. Um, so I think she got probably got it around the wrong. You know, the first statement probably if that had come out, maybe the mm. the views would have been a little bit different. Does she have anyone advising her? On oh, this? without a doubt, many. Um, she's the world number two. She's the you know she is she's the highest earning female sports person in the world on the planet at the moment. A lot of advisors, a lot of people around her. Um, a lot of areas she, she should be able to, you know, turn to for support um, and, and for managing something like this. Unfortunately, you know, she's a young woman who, you know, the pressure because other athletes have spoken out kind of against the move and, and maybe without fully understanding what she was going through. But there was a lot, everything bore down on her and it became just too much. Mm. And so, as she said, you know, she had to pull out. And, and I, I, I really worry for I, I, I wonder whether she'll be at Wimbledon. And there's a part of me as a tennis fan. I'm a huge tennis fan. I'm thinking, okay, even I put my tennis fan hat on, I put my journalist hat on. I'm thinking, <laughs> right now? I would rather have seen her play this tournament, if at all possible, and yet not talk to the not talk to the media because ultimately the tennis will misses out from seeing her. One of the things I think needs to happen is tournaments and Grand Slams need to be tighter on who they accredit into into media conferences because I think one of the issues you know she struggled with is dealing with difficult or unart questions that aren't necessarily about that are maybe getting too deep and personal and not about. Mm. The Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. I guess that because and, and she's on a, social media, yeah, you kind of think you have a buy-in, a bit of a license because she's told you this. So, can well, you she's talked more? about Black Black Lives Matter, for example, is where she's been, you know, I guess politi- political in that regard, and so you are going to, you know, you're going to get follow-ups when you get a yeah, chance it's opened to the door to something. It does open the door. So, in some way, without blaming, because I hate the blame game, but um, but you know that anyone who thinks is going to look at what she's talked about and think, oh, that's really interesting. I'd like her to elaborate and maybe. Mm. And so there's all that that comes into it too. I mean, if you have publicly come forward and said something about, well, in Osaka's case, Black Lives Matter, for example, then you you can't really blame a journalist sitting in a media conference wanting something different if they ask you to elaborate on that issue. Yeah. Now, maybe you have just come off losing a match and you're just not in the mood to discuss that. You haven't been prepared for it. So you can see where that conflict arises. Yeah. But is it fair of these athletes to then say, okay, well, what I say on my social media is is off bounds. Just ask me about the game. <laughs> no, you're right. And if you, if you, that's right, crack open that door, you've got to expect that somebody's going to want to open it wider and ask you more about it. I think what we're probably going to see now is a lot of these top athletes only wanting to use their social media platforms to get their messages out there uh, because they can think about what they're going to say before they say it. And, you know, nobody's asking them any questions unless it's in the the comments and they're not going to read those. So I think, yeah, I think this is the start of that move towards more social media commentary from our athletes and more saying, I don't want to do this. But I guess what happens now is, what do the sports do? You know, if an athlete comes to you and says, I'm not going to turn up for the press conference, do you find them? Do you say, you're out of here? Or do you say, okay, that's that's fine. Mm. It's just but going to be really gone are the days where we say we ignore mental health issues, right? Where yeah. we trivialise them. Yeah. So there's a delicate balance here from sports bodies to be treated. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen it, you know, in New Zealand in the last even three months with 
three of our top athletes from rugby, from cricket, from netball, all taking a break or saying... The COVID burnout break. Yeah, yeah, saying, you know, my mental health uh, is, a, you know, I need to take a break now. I, ne- I don't want to talk to people about this. Let's take uh, Amelia Ann Ekanasio, the Silver Ferns captain, as example. She hasn't spoken to anybody about this, but she has put it out there each day almost on her social media pages, on her Instagram account. And that's her way of getting it out there to young women. Look, I'm suffering from this. It's okay if you are too. I've probably talked around in circles a little bit because I haven't got the answer of how things change. Um, but 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 the debate is surely going to bring out you know some good options and some and some ways of doing it. The the whole media mechanism of how media operates is not going to change to such a radical extent that she never has to do another press conference again. Mm. That's just that's that's expecting too much, in my opinion. That's it for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Emile Donovan. And thanks to Matt Brown and Suzanne McFadden. Matawa.